David Murren specialises in using the past to predict the future and is an accomplished public speaker, hedge fund manager and market trader. To date, he's authored three books, Breaking the Code of History, Lions Led by Lions and Now or Never. His fourth, The Road to Wars, is due to come out in 2021. He also writes a blog on his website, www.davidmerrin.co.uk, where you can find more on his life, views and work. Hi guys and welcome back to part two of Empire Cycles. Today we're going to be looking more at other theories and some deeper questions into the five-phase Empire Cycle that Dad has created. But he's sitting with me now. Dad, how are you? Good form, ready to go, my son. Ready for a good sun grilling. Nice early start today, isn't it? At uh, 10.01. I can tell you're a student, Winnie. <laughs> I don't know, what can I say? This is an early day for me. I'm not actually kidding, by the way. Well, I'm I mean, I remember, the days, awake. I remember the days when I woke up at like... God, when was it? Seven? Those are long gone. I haven't done that for years. Yeah, well, it'll come back to you. Just enjoy the privilege. It'll come back to me. Okay, so first question, Dad. You argue that the five stages can be compared to a human life cycle, saying that state cycles are similar to human lives. Human lives are diverse and individual, with variations, but your cycle's a lot more rigid. If the five stages were actually like human life cycles... Surely there'd be much more variation, change, and dynamism. It would be unpredictable, like human nature. Well, um, so no is the answer to that. But now I'm going to explain why you use <laughs> a simple answer. <laughs> Destroy it straight away. Um, essentially, wait. No, is in they're not like human. No, like no, human no. no is a, you know I don't agree with your question. No, is in you know, they are like human life cycles. So, so they're fractal structures. Okay. So if you're not familiar with. The science of fractals, it's the concept that small patterns, for example, in the bronchi in your lungs are represented in larger degree patterns and larger degree patterns. So similar things replicate through the size and order of nature's structures. So if you looked at a human life, if you looked at two qualities, a combination of wisdom, stroke, knowledge and energy, when a child is born, essentially a child is pretty helpless. Hence, we have our human social system and bringing children up is a long, arduous process. Um, and gradually, over the first stage, I would call regionalization, a child grows stronger, independent, absorbs best practice. We have educational programs. Before that, in a tribe, it would be, you know, right through passage and activity. But you essentially, in regionalization, absorb best practice from the people around you. And the thing that I call a civil war of regionalization is actually, as we touched upon in the previous process, the mechanism by which you as a teenager, you know, early 20s human individual, rebel against some of the qualities of your parents as you do a self-check to make sure that the skills you learnt make you adaptable to the environment and survivable and potentially successful. So that sort of civil war, or we call it rebellion in the teenage periods, is a very natural echo of that process having established best practice um, that individual then goes out into the world and does the best they can to build a livelihood a revenue stream a family they build their world their family structure in the expansion to empire expansion to family would be that second stage and and they reach a point of expansion that reaches limits 
And somewhere where those limits are reached, there's a sense of maturity. There's less aggression in the actions of gaining and achieving. And there's far more sort of sense of mature reflection, tolerance and integration that goes with someone in their middle ages that's achieved their microcosm of an empire. And that's what maturity is about, this whole process of tolerance and integration, which you see at the much higher fractal of an empire cycle. And of course, there's a sort of, there is no civil war at the top because essentially you can't fight against yourself, but there may well be um, a whole process of somewhere in the sort of late fifties currently, a whole re-examination of self, values, concepts, architecture that until that point have reached and allowed you to get to the point of peak maturity and then a revaluation of how best to face the time ahead. And one of the things that you see is you're born with no energy and, and no wisdom and you die in your old age with very little energy and some wisdom if you're not demented. Um, and so there's a combination. Happy thoughts. Yeah. Happy thoughts. There's a combination in that cycle. Now, somewhere at the peak of maturity, you don't realize it, but you've woken up like the empire to the day that's your peak of energy and wisdom and manifestation in the world. And there is just a gradual ongoing slide full of denial all the way down the back end of the curve. Empires do it. Individuals do it. And the trick about the expansionary phase, it's a combination of lots of energy early on and less wisdom. And as you get to the top, less energy and essentially more wisdom to counter that. And the decline is about having less energy and resources and gradually losing your wisdom as you lose your, your wits in some combination where your effect on the world actually is minimized. With maturity, um you were saying that empires become more tolerant, they become less expansive, but you're assuming that will happen. Whereas in human life cycles, some people become less tolerant with age. Some people don't lose their, their want to expand, don't lose their ambition with age, but you're saying that empires no, do. So if you're no, preparing no, no, for human no, no, life cycles. No, no, there's a relativity about this. It isn't absolute. Of course, there's a Gaussian spectrum. Of you're saying on the whole. On the whole, if you were to typify a human experience it would fit into this some more some less but there is but definitely so if you have an intolerant human being they will relatively be most tolerant in their middle age but if they're intolerant they're still intolerant so it's relative to where they start from in their persona and characters but nonetheless you can see it quite a lot in terms of so you, you go from over you go from maturity where you're comfortable you think your world is as it is to overextension that point where actually you're you're spending more than you earn and then some moment like 9-11 was at the inflection point between overextension and decline where essentially something bad happens you become sick people die you care about something you just can't really recover from that leaves you with the definite recognition at some level you're fighting a rear guard action to hold on to what you built and that's all part of the decline process so i think actually you know when i when i looked at these empire cycles i also understood the internal cycle of a human life pattern and how it had a fractal relationship to a bigger system you see it in companies you see it in all human organizations so it's a fractal system that works all the way through the degrees of human experience so you're basically saying that this this cycle that you've created is applicable to many different things other than states including humanity so so uh, on the yes, whole it's like an underlying social social trend. construct and so look i think that you said i've created I, i've basically created a theorem so I haven't created this cycle. I've created the theorem which observes this cycle, tracks and predicts it. There's a big difference. This cycle is has been up until now an endemic quality of human existence. 
from the individual to the tribe, to the nation, to the corporate entity, to the structure of a special forces regiment, to an empire, which is a larger social structure. Would you say that this this theory is more of an art or a science? I think it's incredibly predictive um, in that my experiences in constructing it did come about through the observation of concrete price patterns in markets and the associated psychology. So I could see that psychology firmly related to price. What was very interesting is having come up with the theory of five stages and what it should look like and could look like, as I started to do my research across every empire I could find in human existence, it didn't matter whether it was low technology or high technology, the similar patterns existed. And I found it absolutely unbelievable to almost at certain stages, see events unfolding that were consistent with this pattern. And everywhere I looked, it was reinforced by the evidence that I saw. And yes, someone might turn around and say, well, you, you know, you fitted the curve, but I looked at too many cycles for the curve not to fit. And what's interesting is from 9-11 onwards when I formulated this, and then I applied it to the world today, which is the thing I find most interesting. Those constructs have accurately predicted over 20 years this huge power shift. And I don't think these are just an average 20 years. This is the biggest power shift we've seen in five, 600 years, probably ever. Because of the Western Christian super empire losing power. And the rise of, in effect, the super Asian empire led by China raising through the vacuum. And at the same time, it, 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 it's a compound. It's not just two systems in some ways, because the Western super-Christian empire was essentially a global power. For the first time, like the pistons in an engine, every other piston in every other region was depressed to zero, whether it was the Middle East, whether it was India, whether it was China, whether it was Latin America. This one system dominated the world and synchronously pushed all the other pistons down to their lowest extent. So it was the system that dominated lost power and the vacuum was created these other pistons have all been rising simultaneously now until that moment in history they were like separate pistons that were non-related so they all be moving up and down like an engine in different sync but the super western christian empire synchronized all the others which is why you see this rising tide in social organization and expectation everywhere the leading edge of which is china the trailing edge of which is africa niall ferguson argues that state cycles are not arcs but they can rapidly shift and rise and fall as opposed to the steady glide paths oh god bad pronouncement steady glide paths either up or down what do you think of that the well, states basically don't have a a, a preset cycle that you, like you're saying that they are a lot more erratic in their formation well, and dissipation well i fundamentally probably come from a different perspective for Neil Ferguson. and I don't agree with a lot of his comments. I think he compares apples with oranges in history and comes up with poor predictive analogies. So um, from his perspective of it almost being a random Brownian environment, and I sit at the other side of a cycle. Now, his comment that you opened with about the way that cycle makes its transitions, transitions are not linear. This is really important. So it's quite linear in the regional phase. 
It's completely non-linear and almost exponential in the expansion to empire phase. And most human systems think linearly, so they're always caught by surprise. And similarly, when that moment of decline really accelerates, that catches people by surprise, like the collapse of the USSR in the 90s. No one could have imagined a collapse could happen so quickly. It's because those changes are very, very cliff face in their character. So you do agree with his comment that states rapidly shift and rise and fall? Well, they do at certain stages. But you're saying that they follow this path. But they follow a path. Whatever they do, and there's there's particular times where you see quantum changes and other times only iterative changes and that's to do with the understanding of the cycles and 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 so it isn't random when those happen that's where we disagree that's fair enough have you heard of sir john glubb's the fate of empires yes after i wrote my book a number of people that basically read uh, breaking the code of history sent me sent me you should go and read this which i thought was very interesting and have you read it i read it after i published breaking the code of history did you hear of it at all before you published no, Breaking the Code? Not of at all. Not at all. What do you think? So, are you aware of the seven stages? No. So, just to go through them. So, John Glubb wrote The Fate of Empires, and in it, he established seven stages an empire or state goes through, or empire goes through before collapsing. The first is outburst, where small aggressive warrior states rapidly expand. The second is conquest, where conquest continues and people become united and happy. The third is commerce, where people are materialistic, have a poor sense of duty and dislike risk. Conquest slows and the merchantile class becomes powerful. Affluence is basically the same thing as commerce. The fifth is intellect, where educational institutions are built by the state and thinkers begin to challenge government and orthodox beliefs. And then six is decadence which is marked by immigration, a welfare state, defensiveness, materialism, and due to a long time in power, the love of wealth. And then the seventh and final is decline and collapse, which follows decadence. I think that there are certain definite similarities between you and Glubb in your empire circles, but yours seems more streamlined, whereas his is a little bit more, that follows the same kind of line of argument, kind of has a, has a few more, what's the word? When it's not, when it's not streamlined. It's, it's not as essential. Essential. I think you condense yours down a lot more. And why do you think he's added more stages than you have? Well, well look, first of all, the piece that, that really, you know, that I started with is that the expansionary cycle in human systems is based by demographic expansion and contraction comes through demographic contraction. So there are two countries in the world right now that are really challenged. One is Russia with the worst demographics in Europe, and the other is Japan with the worst demographics in, in Asia. But Europe as well does not have good demographics. We're no, it doesn't. We're holding on no, population. You should see is. Russia. Russia's a like negative. So you know Russia's aggression is promoted by Putin's drive, not by an innate expansionary energy of the system. It's very different. If Putin wasn't there, Russia would be a different entity. Um, and in Japan's case, the only reason it maintains its status quo is because it sits in an expansive Asian system, and it's the old man taking steroids, surrounded by young, virulent, you know, Asian nations, which keeps it younger for longer. So there are interesting dynamics about subsets. So uh, look, why do I think I'm pr- more streamlined? Mm-hmm. It's because I'm a physicist by training. So what I really wanted to find was essential human social principles that were at their minimum essential and therefore within which you could build more complex constructs. So all of those seven stages you just read out, which long since forgotten, but you know, I, I identify with. And I think the issue is it's a sequence of the middle ones that padded out the maturity of my cycle, all of which I talk about as an evol- evolution. 
Um, but the the ones on the you know the beginning and the end are are expansion, regionalization, decline. So uh, I think that we get more sophisticated perceptions with more information. What I find very interesting is that I am not the first person to think that there is a cyclicity to history. There have been many historians that have commentated on it, but you know, writing some fifty years later gives me a perspective and understanding that fifty years later we had less of. So I'm not surprised that I was able to refine it more. I think it's remarkable when you think about that was written at the decline of the British Empire. So it was very obvious to him. And I think that's really what would have triggered his commentary is experiencing British history and the end of the British Empire the way he did would, would trigger the response of I need to go out and look and see what else was like this. For me, it was a decline of the American Empire which is the empire of our lives, which made me go back and relate it to the British Empire and other empires. So I think that in expansion, we can be quite blithe because there's an optimistic future. In maturity, we're very comfortable. In overextension, we're blind. Only in decline are we really forced to think what the hell is happening and reappraising our environment and the risks the environment poses and the changes posed to our lifestyles. And I think that was certainly my catalyst for the examination of this topic. And I suspect probably the similarity to Grubb with the with the last phases of the British Empire creating that same catalyst to thought. Grubb argues just moving on to a little bit more of his theories. Glob argues that approximately 10 generations equal 250 years, and that 250 years, or 10 generations, is the average lifetime for an empire. Do you think empires have a lifetime of 250 see, years I, as well? I, see, I think, that, think I, I think so, so I think they're longer than that. Okay, so what I found in my work is when I went to go and look at the base constructs of the majority of large structured organizations, they were around 400 years to 450 years. And um, and I, that time frame worked. Now, some are shorter, fewer longer. What really troubled me was when I applied it to the Western Christian world, they were much shorter. If you look at the pattern of Portugal. As in they got progressively shorter. Yeah, they got time. shorter. So the Portuguese Empire, the Spanish Empire, then the French Empire, the Dutch, then the British Empire, then the challenge of Germany and then America. They all had much shorter time frames, which I think might well have triggered his perspective. But when I clocked that the, these national systems were really part of a Christian super empire, suddenly the time frame of the Christian super empire became that of the old systematic single nation empire. So, in fact, I, I would argue that the systems as a whole have become more complicated and it's easy to focus on one of one of the degrees lower than the system we're talking about. But the time frames are still fairly similar. So when we look at China, we're not looking at, you know, a short period of time. If it gains dominance in the world, you're looking at literally centuries of dominance. I think it's it's an interesting question because empires' lifespans are sometimes more difficult than you think to quantify. I mean, to actually set up a definitive end and definitive start is not as easy as it may first appear. You know, with the Roman Empire, that thing went on for literally, how long, 2,000 years? Or yeah, but, like. okay, but, but it was different empires, but it depends uh, how you define so, it. So again, in my book, I defined the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. So something that, something, it was the first time that, that I saw this process of a split of cousins. So when the Western Empire ran out of steam, 
and the system split into East and West. The Eastern Empire then took up the baton and became a similar value set located geographically in Constantinople, but nonetheless it continued with the, the energy and thesis of, of predominantly of the Roman Empire. And if you go and look at Britain and, and America, we are cousin systems, very similar, whereby America, that's why Britain really, much as we felt you know, we'd been gypped a bit slightly. They were our cousins. The values didn't fundamentally change in the world. And we've been happy to live under our cousins rule in a way that was probably easier for us than it was for them the other way around. So I think the, the, the Roman Empire was what I call my first super empire, a system of empires that combined into a string to make a super system. Could you not argue that ancient Greece was a similar, though smaller, example of that? It was on a fractal level. It was, you know, city-states oscillating in multi, multi-phased power that created always one dominant entity, but they changed as it went from one to the other. It was a microcosm of that process. And the same with the warring states in China. I mean, there's lots of multipolar examples like that. How do you think an empire's mindset changes over time? Glob says that as a nation becomes more defensive and lacks aggression, it becomes prone to being overthrown. And I feel like you have a similar viewpoint on that one. I do. And we touched on it yesterday. In regionalization, there's an established power base, which is basically overturned with a more right brain, creative, strategic, expansive energy. And it does that through a civil war with a militarized system. It then runs down the resource chains and expansion to empire. And in that vacuum and chaos of opportunity, really right brain genes truly predominate in the system. You are rewarded if you are bold, if you are clever, if you're a good general or admiral, you take advantage of opportunities and the whole system expands at a staggering rate with people, the best of those versions of people in the lead. And then gradually as you go into maturity and control of your environment, which is the ultimate goal of the system, stability and control of the environment for the human system, those people have less opportunity to differentiate themselves and a more iterative human mindset comes to the fore. People are less prone to be capable in action and doing and far more prone to be politicking in the political human groups. So the system becomes less effective, it becomes more moribund. And over time, as you go into overextension, it's those people that dominate and fail to allow innovation and radical change to infuse the system to ever create its possibility of change if you could wave your wand and you could replace the creative energy of rise with the more bund iterative energy of decline you have a chance of revitalizing faster you then have to overcome your negative demographics which is part of the process but you certainly could extend the declining process but again most people can't and don't think this way so they don't identify the two different systems that rise to control society at between going up and going down what would you say to people who would say to you that you are not the first to come up with this, that Glob was the first, that you you copied him? Um, well, first of all, I'd say I never read it. So <laughs> I didn't. Secondly, secondly... <laughs> nice and definitive again. <laughs> uh, well, it is definitive. You know, it was. I basically created breaking the code of history from basic first principles in a human vacuum based on my market work. I was really surprised when other people came up and said, hey, there's other work around. So I didn't base it on other people's work and then build on top of it. As a physicist, I wanted to look at the world as I saw it and reduce it to basic elements and components. But 
in answer to that question, I don't think I'm, I'm relatively different to have articulated it. And someone once said, why did you come up with it? And I can see the co- the combination of events that led me to that moment. One, I was fascinated by military history from an early age, because I thought military history really did define human history. And I don't think I was far off, to be honest. Um, and secondly, we were brought up in a family that traveled at a time when Britain had become insular in decline. So I saw the world as a, a big mosaic of nations, states and cultures rather than a small place. Um, I was part of a family that had come from the Indian army. So empire was part of our heritage and interest in it was, was, was innate. And then I went through my school system and I became a physicist and physics taught me to look at first principles and my criticism of history and social constructs are that they are, do not operate from base essential principles to understand human action. And that was what I brought to the process and trying to solve the problem. And th- th- then the last piece of the puzzle was I went to Papua New Guinea and saw tribes behave collectively with collective energy. First time I saw it, they wanted to kill me, which you never forget. And where one person's anger spread to 60, all with bows and arrows and pickaxes, who had eaten human flesh not long before. You never forget that experience. You never forget the, the pebble in a pond and the ripples of emotion that are then shared and resonated in the tribe. And it was only when I came back and joined JP Morgan did I realize we're not any different from Papua New Guineans. We have a higher threshold of individuality, but underneath it, we behave collectively. And it's that concept of collective emotional dynamics, which really led me to the conclusions I led to. So I had some very unique threads to come together. And then, of course, I'd been trading for a long time. I'd watched patterns of behavior, watched my feelings in relation to those patterns so I could unravel some of those. I mean, many of the things I wrote about in Breaking the Code of History were not the conclusions I started with. It was really the application of theories which gave surprising outcomes, which were robust in the way they were structured, which changed my, reformulated my idea of the world, which sadly so far has proven to be accurate over the past 20 years, which is the ultimate test, is does it actually, if you can locate a country on the curve, could you then actually predict what it does next? And in the case of America, China, and Britain, and Britain's path to Brexit, on all three of those occasions, and many others in other regions, it has provided an incredibly broad, accurate roadmap. Well, thank you, Dad. I think that was very well put from you there, the last last couple of minutes. <laughs> Didn't want to interrupt. Um, that's all from us. If you want to learn more about Dad or hear anything else from him, he's written a, written a few little tidbits, go to www.davidmerrin.co.uk. Winnie, great questions. Really proud of you. You put me on the spot again, and they were well-researched and really interesting, so thank you. 